feels like your mama. <laughs> you I know you're recording me, by you the way. You feel good about what you no, just did? No, I don't. I don't. But I don't feel good about anything I record Yeah, well, podcast. that was the stinger, so fuck you. <laughs> I thought there was, the stinger was about my beard. Come gather all your poets, all your storytelling freaks Thrumming your golden esophagi, spilling floral frilly speech You are the chosen noisemakers, the rabble that won't sleep The ugly little secrets walking proudly down the street Each story holds a thousand seeds a proverbial pomegranate A jewel of possibilities A not-so-silent planet Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Not-So-Silent Planet A podcast. Nobody's gonna get that joke. Nope. Because that would require people to listen to more than one episode of this podcast. Plus, this episode is going to come out three months after the last. This one. is true, if we're lucky. And uh, 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 restoring order to the universe. I am your host, Philip Lowe. With me, as always, is my co-host Ben Sandell. Hello. And our special guest for the evening, the one, the only, the man, the myth. The legend. Wow. Matt Alex. Hello. Hey. <laughs> cool. And I feel like Ben does much better intros than you. <laughs> His was like it is a low bar. it's a low bar to clear. Ah, <laughs> uh, get it? Low. Oh. No? Okay. I it's... come from the, the stand-up comedy world where when you introduce somebody <laughs> You always say their credits ahead of time, and then you give their name, and that's what I just... That's, that's what, what I usually do. These like, are... Yeah. yeah, guests on, like, my last show, we'd always do the Appalachians first. Yeah. This is this is true, and I'm I'm uh, with two I comedians. I low if... bar. You, you're the normal host, and you had to do it, and you were the low <laughs> bar. Jesus Finally, Christ, I got laughed at Jesus, fuck, I got a crowbar and put away now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we have someone who hosts a show whose title now makes me think of someone... At a series of horse races, slowly bringing a hot dog to their mouths. Which, to be fair, is a great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah. Honestly, any afternoon spent with a hot dog is a pretty mm. good afternoon. I'm a big fan of hot dogs. Yeah. About and horses. Yeah, what is the name of your podcast? <laughs> horror Show Hot Dog. Does it still sound like horse to you guys? <laughs> well, now it does because it's in my head. Now that we're listening oh for it. Horror Show Podcast. Does it sound like Horror Show Hot Dog? <laughs> Horse or hot dog? Yeah, horse or hot dog. <laughs> it does still sound like horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I was intrigued. a little vague. When you said, when you said it, and I was like, horse show podcast. That's a horse show hot dog. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, oh, losers go this way. Yum, yum. <laughs> so our book. horse meat now in the United States, but not donkey, which upsets me. Not a joke. Couldn't you just, couldn't you just buy like a horse and a mule? And then no, you can no 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 you can <laughs> you can just go to a store and buy horse meat. Yeah, but you can't just go to a store and buy donkey meat. 
I don't know if you've ever looked at donkey meat. It's insanely beautifully marbled. It's like the Kobe Is this beef. a euphemism of some nope. kind? This is not a joke. This a is euphemism been, for your mama. This has been like a 10-year quest for me is to find donkey meat. <laughs> Again, not I'm a joke. I'm still on euphemisms here. Nope, I, I, I really want to eat donkey. And it's, I, I'm not legally allowed to. I guess if I had my own donkey, I could slaughter it and eat it. But then i got to buy a donkey. I don't want to do that. What, so, but why though? Again, marbled like Kobe beef. It looks delicious. I, I, I feel like I've got a friend show in this of like a metaphor for gay marriage Just give me about a story someone who by credit had a ten year quest to eat donkey meat. Dude, it looks so <laughs> a metaphor for gay marriage. All right, it's No one's standards for metaphors are very high. I look forward to seeing the reviews for that show. <laughs> It'll be very tasteful. So <laughs> tasty. It'll be marbled. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Or, how do you how do you like coming back to host? <laughs> it's it's unpleasantly familiar. <laughs> Moving on to our <laughs> to our oral report for the evening, which is State of Decay by James. I'm gonna say Nap unless yeah, you correct so, me. Yeah. I assume the K is silent. No, no, it's Knap. <laughs> it's Knap. So as so few things are. <laughs> I, so, wish, I wish that a couple things actually were Knap or whatever. Kano. I wish it I would wish be they delightful. Did. There's wish it wasn't across the board <laughs> silent. K. I bet there's something in like Polish <laughs> that like does that. <laughs> Is that racist? I don't... It can't be. Bigoted? No. Wishing for more things to be Polish it's is racist. racist. It's, <laughs> not, it's just not the kind of racist that's going to get you in trouble. Sure. No, no, I mean, there's got to be something where there's like a... The, uh, the non-silent K? <laughs> you know? Non-silent K, that's what you Those should Those are racist. Non-silent K. So people. this book... <laughs> that I read, like, so you... You can it's amazing. You put Ben in a different chair, and he totally takes on your persona. It's astounding. So this is uh, so you concealed a truth from me, which is that this is the first book of a trilogy. It is. So I did go ahead and read the which rest of the trilogy. I didn't know trilogy. the first time I read it. So. I didn't either. Well, then it was we're an on. unpleasant surprise. <laughs> I remember there was a podcast where somebody signed you a book that was the second in a trilogy. Oh no, that was the Atasha Womack oh, one, no, <laughs> the Rayla. At least here you get as much information as anyone had at the time. Because I was... The reason I picked this one is uh, this was one where uh, the author was uh, a Kingdom of Loathing player, the online game that a buddy of mine... Seriously? Yeah. yeah. And uh, worked on this book, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then got it published and everybody's like, oh, cool, you got a book. And I remember hearing about that and going, oh, I should read that one of these days. And then, like, someone going, oh, shit, he's got a second book now, the continuation. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. And so I ordered the first book, ordered the mm -hmm. second book. And that was before. Now there is a third book. I've not read the third one because I ordered them both before the third yeah. one was out. So, like, apparently the trilogy is complete. I've not yet remembered to do it because yeah. I barely read anymore because I'm a dipshit <laughs> that watches movies for fun. And <laughs> when you have to watch movies for work, they stop being fun. So I, it's, it's astounding yeah. stupid how little media so, I consume. So, uh, brief premise here that... Uh, this is essentially a zombie novel, although with many twists, as you pretty much have to have. Oh, I get it. It's a to... pun. State of decay. Yep. No, he literally hit the nail on the head. Yeah. 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 He's on board. Yeah, it, no. was, it was a pretty big nail to hit. <laughs> <laughs> and I hit it. <laughs> but, uh, it's like if you were playing Hammerschlag and we just had to hit the stump. <laughs> so, I would still hit my thumb. <laughs> so, the, so, so, so the premise of this here is these are... Uh, 
the quote-unquote zombies are called revivers here, and they are cybernetically reanimated corpses. Mm-hmm. That uh, and they are reanimated essentially as a kind of slave class. They're used to fight wars. There's a, a, a very grimy sex trade with them. There's, but it's essentially you can take people's corpses and do whatever you want with them. And uh, also, uh, this is a good. Which, ex- why not? <laughs> I mean. But this is, this is a good example of a book where it's essentially our world with a single transformative technology. It's very recognizable, but this technology has altered it in several significant ways. Oh, single ways. transformative like, tech. Well, a couple transformative technologies, and then mm-hmm. also uh, at least one transformative supernatural. Oh, I'm getting there. Okay, yeah, I'll let you, <laughs> my bad. I'll let you go. <laughs> the, uh, but the, the main idea here is this has influenced society in such a way where there's essentially three classes where first class citizens are people who choose to serve their government, either serving in the military or something equivalent to that. Second class I. E. being really rich. Yeah. Much like <laughs> second class citizens. Wait, now rich people serving in the military. No, no, no. You can either serve in the military or just be really rich. Oh, okay. Those, those make you a first tier citizen. It's still better than our current system. <laughs> it's similar. But but second tier is uh, you can say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste my life like this. So I'll do whatever I want, but when I'm dead, you can take my corpse, reanimate it, and do whatever you want. Oh, I would totally take that. <laughs> Many people do. But the, the, and then the third class are people who say, I don't want to serve the government. I don't want them to do whatever the fuck they want with my corpse. I want to live my life and die my death. And uh, they end up just grinding out lives of terrible poverty. Yeah, and you will do it, but you'll yeah. do it in a slum. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's it follows four characters. There's what's essentially an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. There's um, a woman who... Uh, there's a lady cop. Yeah. There's a woman who has <laughs> what are essentially psychic powers where she can read people and... Basically a Jean Grey type. Yeah. The flying. She can manipulate them. She can uh, do that kind of thing. She's also a drunk, so she doesn't do much with this. She's mm-hmm. just... And then there's a fourth character who does nothing of significance in this novel, Flat. and it's totally mystifying why she's there until you read the ensuing novels where she becomes a major character. Yeah. So, like... But uh, the the major twist, and I am going to just spoil the shit out of this first book because I don't think there's... There, is it they're all dead? <laughs> no. It is not. But I, I, I'm spoiling it because I just don't think there's any way to have a yeah. conversation about it without doing that. Um, the revelation is that the great threat is not the zombie apocalypse. It's uh, that this one woman who has these psychic abilities is not unique. There are a lot of them, and they are manipulating society. So there is someone who is reanimating corpses for the specific goal of countering uh, people who are mind-controlling the rest of the populace. So, <laughs> like... <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But, but yeah, so there's... Uh, the guy who initially discovers this does it because he's someone who's reviving corpses and realizes that there are uh, discrepancies in their memory. Mm-hmm. 
and eventually he figures out it's because there is a whole class of people who's manipulating their memories, and the corpses that are reanimated are totally immune to their ability to do this. So he essentially decides to raise an army. That, uh... Am I accurately yeah, no, characterizing that sounds, that sounds this? Right. And, yeah, sure. <laughs> and the... So also uh, one other point I need to make is that uh, the is revivers. There, is there a t- Titanic-like sex scene? Oh, absolutely, car? <laughs> for <'Cause> sure. <laughs> the picture on the, the cover indicates that there is some hot, steamy sex. Yeah, except that one of the two is dead. Oh, but, okay. but yes, the other <laughs> the other major point that I've left out is that uh, uh, the uh, the technology has evolved over time. The initial revivers were the kind of brainless, hungering creatures that we know from zombie movies. Mm. However, there are more recently, it has become possible to resurrect people essentially with their memories, personality, and conscience intact. One of the characters dies in the first book and then continues as a reviver through the ensuing two. Which is what they call the zombies. Yeah. Revivers. Yeah. I think (laughs) it's funny that the catchphrase in the front is don't pity them. They're already dead. (laughs) Is a phrase... Is that a phrase taken from um, uh, The Simpsons? <laughs> Barney Gumble. Isn't <laughs> Barney Gumble? Do not weep for me, for I am already dead. But Barney Gumble <laughs> on The Simpsons has a has a, uh, a video where he's showing how much yep. he's an alcoholic, and at the end he goes, "Don't, don't pity me. I'm already dead." Or don't, maybe it's don't grieve for me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is Simpsons quotes sooner or later. I mean, basically. But what is this? This is something. This is. Is this a. Something I don't know. Like, don't pity me. There are already. It's a takeoff of something, probably. It's because I'm guessing the Barney Gumble thing was a takeoff of it's something else. It's basically yes. an adaptation of the Barney Gumble episode. So, <laughs> like, you know. But if anybody knew, it would be you, Philip. Is there some Greek thing? It's it's all well, Greek. Officially, things. no one knows. <sighs> But yes, I, I would say that fundamentally the action of the trilogy does break in. Uh, and first of all, these are the, the uh, yet another thing I should say. Uh, I plowed through this trilogy because they are. Go on. No. Ben's smirking at me because I said the word plowed. Yeah. So I know he has somewhere amazing to go. Oh, no, God. <laughs> but the. Uh, I just I, wanted to break your train of thought. <laughs> I plowed through these because they are very fun reads. These are they're ideal very, airport books. Yeah. Is my theory. Is they're like, popcorn. Yeah, they're they're, yeah, they're yeah. delicious. And yeah. you know, like there's not they're not super deep. And yet, like, there's a couple interesting things I think that yeah. happen. Like for a zombie related thing, the idea that as far as I can tell at least, and mm. again I haven't read the third one, like the the revivers exist only because someone said we would like soldiers that aren't actually killing our populace yeah and then they go okay cool and from they they refer to whatever this war is wherever mm-hmm. it is as the grinder yeah, because yeah. it just oh and it's ambiguous yeah like, well, you never, deliberately so yeah like, for sure it's, it's very much we've always been at war with eurasia yeah, yeah. you know it's just, it's, you know you get sent to the grinder for two years you come back you can mm. be a first class first tier citizen mm. and so it's but what you get there and uh our our main guy is it wakowski <laughs> is that how that's spelled it's something i remember it no like character Walsh, names Walsh. <laughs> it's something like it's, that it's spelled yeah, yeah, awful yeah. so i assume yeah. it's just wakowski yeah but so agent wakowski nico wakowski is our main guy mm-hmm. he spent not only his usual two years in in the grinder but then like signed on for a few more yeah. so he is like high-ranking fbi blah 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 
But he talks about the idea that depending on where exactly you're fighting, they might have very old school revivers where it is just people let loose that will just destroy forever. Yeah. They're always hungry. They have no need to eat. And they will just tear you apart and then eat you and then move on to the next person. Mm -hmm. And there's other countries who go, okay, we want these things to kill people, but we're not that disgusting. Yeah. So they will like wire their mouths shut yep. so that they will kill you, but at least not be able to eat you. And, and, I and that's would say, considered, like, yeah. kind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would say there's a respect in which this, uh, for all of its cybernetic trappings, this harkens back to the, the origins of the zombie myth, mm -hmm. which is the... And please correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, my understanding of this is crude. Let me, let me say really quickly, if we're going to talk about zombie origins, we're both wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my understanding is that in their earliest appearance, it's it's a voodoo thing where magicians would resurrect corpses to serve them. I they were not the, the earliest murdered. appearance of zombies with Jesus. <laughs> in fairness, Can he I was say... all about eating the body and drinking the blood. <laughs> but <I'm> like... <laughs> You're both right. <laughs> But uh, uh, they they Creole were... Jesus is my new character. <laughs> so... But they were, <laughs> but they, were uh, they were initially reanimated slaves that uh, and then Usually the mythology yeah. as far as I know, which could yeah. be wrong, because this isn't fully cinematic. But like the as yeah. far as I know, the mythology comes from like Haiti, which yes, yeah, is, is and then Romero's slaves. the one who did Romero, the slaves with no master. Romero made it for white people. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> honestly, also all the things when people are like I like old school Romero zombies, the Night of the Living Dead. Watch it again sometime and see how many rules the Romero zombies violate in Night of the Living Dead versus Dawn of the Dead. Right, you have zombies that use tools and are smart yeah. and think and run. Like yeah. it's, no one knows what the fuck a zombie is because no. they're made of. <laughs> so, like, let's all take a breath <laughs> and fucking enjoy our shit. But, but I would say that at the core, the Romero zombie still presents what is essentially, uh, for all of the hand waving, they are a hungering horde. The which Romero is the defining... Dawn of the Dead zombie is the default zombie for most yeah, people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, so yes, and insofar as there is a central theme or idea to this trilogy, it's largely about, uh, uh, like Terrain in Hell, the, which we talked about last mm -hmm. season, it's, the, it's a big liberty versus security question, which is there is this guy who is raising an army of zombies because he is so horrified by this idea of this class of people who is mentally manipulating everyone around them. And the idea that you have, you have no idea what your identity is. Your memories have no value. You could, it's almost dark city. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's horrific. The, and he is willing to do anything to wipe out that threat, including nuke cities, create zombie apocalypse, do also whatever. Very he, matrix. Yeah. yeah. Do whatever he can to, wipe out that shit whereas on the other side of that you have uh you know these psychics who among their abilities also have some precognitive abilities they can see visions of the future and they see visions of cities being wiped out and know this guy is doing it and so their goal is to stop him and it it, it is this very effective interlocking problem where it's not clear or easy who needs to be stopped or who needs to be wiped out to eliminate the various threats that they present to each other and everyone around them. We get a novel that I think is written sympathetically to the anti-psychic 
you know, while the still first not, novel, yeah, while well, still not yeah, being yeah. comfortable to the reviver. But the thing is, if the first novel is written from the opposite perspective, it'd be just as good of a story. Mm-hmm. But your loyalties might feel different as you move on. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the thing is it's, and for being like you know, I, I, I'm not gonna say like for, like this is not the first thing James wrote. I'm sure. Yeah. But like it's for the first book this person's book, I was like okay like that's that's a lot to tackle yeah and it's got its weaknesses in the writing like yeah. i'll fully acknowledge that like it is it's a young author's book not like mm-hmm. a youth adult novel but like right, right. Th- it's got a few things where like rereading it as like, okay that's that's a little awkward like oh, that's, <laughs> okay but overall like it's you can see the influence a little too clearly sometimes yeah, yeah. in a young adult and so like the very idea that you have four characters and it's all tarantino'd where it's like, we're going to this person, and this person, and this person. We don't know how they all line up, and, and all, they converge towards the end, and it all makes sense. And that's fine. Like, that's a that's a style, and you can choose hmm. it. But there's times you can go, maybe this could yeah. be a little more linear, and we'd have a little less trouble understanding where you're going. Yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating in the sense... You have to splash around in this world a bit yeah. to get your bearings, but at the same time, that to me is the big compliment I want to give. Yeah. This is, I like splashing around in this world. Yeah, yeah. You have these weird government-designed zombies. You have these psychics who... And the, are the one example we get to know well, uh, is it Zoe or Zoe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something Who's like the that. one who, like, is the, the drunk that hates the fact that her powers keep her up all night, so she just gets blasted on Uzo, mm-hmm. passes out, <laughs> wakes up, hears the neighbor downstairs being beaten by her boyfriend, and will, like, run downstairs and, like, knock on their door, barely able to stay standing upright. And when he's like, what the fuck, dude? She's like, bleh. And she's like, you should really go to bed. You're tired. Yeah. And he'll be like, whatever. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> and then they'll go to sleep. And the girl's like, thank you. <laughs> and it's like, the thing is, like, she has all, she could be manipulating governments. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, I just want to sleep. Yeah. And like, that's an interesting real life application yeah. of something like that where, uh, and you see this honestly in some comic books now where they have the characters that are like, what if it's not my job to save the world just because I have a power? Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, the Hellcat comics lately have been doing that, where it's like, what if I made a group of people that we all have powers and we just find jobs suited to them? You're super strong? Well, what if you work at the shipping yard? They save money on forklifts, you get paid yeah. a little extra. You know, and it's like, okay, cool. And so she's got this idea of like, fuck you, man. Like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to do this. I have nightmares all night. I don't want to do any of this shit. My life is ruined. <laughs> I live on a government pension because everything sucks. Like, no, I'm not going to go your lackey and think of whatever you want me to think of i just want to sleep but yeah fine i'm going to help mm. this person next to me like and, and, that's and, interesting and, and, and yeah and i'd say it's i'd say the greatest flaw to the trilogy as a whole is that he does an amazing job of setting up a really complicated thorny problem and i think he totally cops out and i've not read the, the third so i don't there know we go. Yeah. <laughs> but so. the I still, yeah. I'm going to honestly <laughs> suggesting it for this. Maybe go like, all right, I got to finish this. So, <laughs> I will do it. So and and there there are definitely things. Does he cop out because it was clear from the beginning. There was not a clear. No, he cops out and he says, "Oh, there's a complex question between these two opposing views, and here's a third option that doesn't hurt anyone." Oh, so it's fuck you, man! Uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, have you not read it? I can't say like with certainty, but like, come on, even Fallout has a better answer. Yeah, um, like I just finished Fallout Four because I have no money and I'm playing games four years after. Come <laughs> but uh, but it's like okay, when you have to decide, do you nuke this faction or this faction? Like, there's no like, or oh, everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah. Button, like you know, pick a side. Like yeah, that, yeah. it's it's a you know, kill your babies. It yeah. sucks in fiction and in writing and in art, but like, 
Well, well, and these these are different. I mean, they're thrillers, so they're plot-driven novels, and that's another criticism I'd lob their way is the, um, you know, they're not character-driven, which is not a flaw. That's totally okay for books to not be character-driven, but he definitely has a tendency to sort of find ways to maneuver characters where he needs them for plot purposes, whether or not that's anything these characters would actually do. I think of it as like, uh, a bit of a Spaceman spiff. Yeah. From Kelvin and Hobbes. Yeah, it's yeah. just breathless superlatives. Yep. Like, and then, <laughs> and then, like, and of course, then that person gets the fucking phone call. Yeah. That tells the next person, and like then you follow them for like 10 pages, and they're like, oh shit, I have to go here. <laughs> and that happens to lead into, and like, it's fucking fun to read. Yeah, yeah. It's super fun, you know? So this is like, it would be like uh, somewhere between, say, like shoot 'em up, mm-hmm. you know, which is just full on, just like action porn, and I fucking love because it's yeah, just yeah, glorious. Yeah. And there's moments in these that are that, where it's just like, holy shit, the whole world's on mm-hmm. fire. That's amazing. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, uh, what was the creepy one with like the girls in the school that had superpowers that uh, Zack Snyder did? Um, Sucker Punch? Sucker Punch. No. You know, it, it could be that broadly cinematic in mm-hmm. its scope. Or it could be, you know, if you if you ratcheted it down the other direction, it could be much more of a... Um, oh, man, it's late. I'm going to have trouble thinking about this. <laughs> um, a, a more of a chess game, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you could be like, oh, shit, this part and that part, and I didn't think of this. You know, more of a, yeah. more of a Game of Thrones type thing. Yeah. And, and, and it lands somewhere in the middle. Right. But... I think at the the problem is at the end of your movie you want someone to do, and I'm watch Game of Thrones, but you want someone to like pick a side, stick with it, and like oh, but half my fans would be pissed if I say it <laughs> this way. Well, fine though, but like it's got to end, you know. Yeah. So like if if it does not do that, and again, I've not read the third, yeah. but like you you can't try to please everybody because you know yeah. yada yada please because because no. my my last criticism that I just have to unload having read this trilogy and I just need to say it is the uh uh I don't think it needed to be a trilogy it's like the first novel is great it establishes the world it builds to a fantastic twist it's really exciting the third book is great it shows the apocalyptic explosion and everyone scrambling to solve these problems the second book you know it presents a problem and then solves the problem. But like, and there's maybe one or two significant revelations that could have been easily shoveled off to one volume or the other, but it's, it's, it's this really bizarre sort of dead weight in the middle of an exciting story. It didn't need to be three. Yeah. Which makes you wonder always, like, (laughs) this could go in our hat full of (laughs) semiotics. Is our trilogies, if planned, Mm -hmm always bad because they tend to not need the middle section yeah the middle section usually has some really great action set pieces or maybe some kind of interesting character development but you can't resolve anything because you got one more coming <laughs> and so but then know, a lot of times the middle section is the best what i, I was gonna say i think like, like empire strikes back yeah. or i think um but for character development for yeah, sure back but to the nothing future happens. too right <laughs> <laughs> no the lord of the rings um 
What's the second one? Two Towers. Yeah. Two Towers, yeah. But, but again, the, nothing happens. It's just but, character development. But one of the reasons why it, it can be better is it, because of the character development. It's finally, they're not worrying about so much about plot projection. They're exploring the characters. They're, 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 the problems are getting more complex. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'll dive on this and say I think it's like everything else in the hat of Laws of Semiotics, which is it's not in absolute truth but it is a trope that can be damaging if it's not like dealt with well in a thoughtful yeah. way like i mean especially lately when you watch movies be planned from jump from they're inspired by a single novel <coughs> as trilogies and yeah. really yeah. really was there enough to talk about <laughs> yeah. that's stretching life. yeah you know but it's but that's kind of the problem i run into and again this is also my own arrogance of going well, I mean, you could just write all the character development into the into two movies. I fucking couldn't. Right. So maybe no one could. I don't know. But like, it just it seems like that's an ongoing problem of like your your middle hunk sometimes gets to be like the kind of wonky weird one, mm-hmm. or it can do you know some interesting stuff. But like at the end of the day, it can't resolve anything. Yeah. You can't fix anything. It, it, <clears throat> Which it, is it, why it is, the middle one is the most true to life. Yeah, well, sure. well, but that's like... <laughs> but that, that's it like, is the sitcom yeah. episode of the trilogy because it is the one where everyone has to start in a certain place and roughly end in the same place because they still have to be able to be the same character to end it at the end. And, and isn't that ultimately yeah. the problem with something like Batman v Superman, which is the... Oh, is it just the one problem? There are many <laughs> problems with that movie, but I'm, I'm saying, I think one of the I'm sure all the problems will be fixed with the Justice League. <laughs> but Oh yeah, sure, but one of the, more Wonder Woman. One of the, <laughs> one of the core better. problems with that movie is it's not a movie. It's not a story. It's a block in a superstructure that they're trying to build. Like... Yeah, you know <laughs> these movies have to exist. Well, now we're getting off a whole different topic, but not really. <laughs> they have to, things stuff. stories should exist, be able to exist on their own. They if they are building a greater Wh- universe, which is what Marvel is doing well. Yeah, they're like, relatively well. Yeah, relatively. <laughs> there's sometimes where they're like that's a little too much yeah. building up. The thing is, or relying on other things. Yeah, but I do think that while they will rely on like cameos and <laughs> your knowledge of the universe, yeah, in general, if they needed the that movie that you just watched to add to the plot of something else they use that as the codas during the credits yeah mm-hmm. and i appreciate that as opposed to being like oh like soap opera like dropping a thing dropping a whereas thing. in batman v superman where the action completely was- stops <laughs> for them to look at footage of other superheroes who uh-huh. do not play a role in the movie so sloppy i have a very kind listener who, when he buys a Blu-ray and gets a digital download as well, he sends me the code for that, which is the only way I would have seen that movie. So I saw it because of that, and then I had a free download code for Voodoo from, like, T-Mobile or something, so I watched Wonder Woman, which is a hot steaming <coughs> shit. And I might be in the majority there, because everybody seems to want to fucking jerk off Wonder Woman as a movie. You mean the minority? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that movie's fucking terrible. <coughs> It is goddamn awful. You have someone who is functionally retarded, stumbling about the modern world, being led around by the nose by a man, and it's the <laughs> feminist ideal, according to everyone else that watched it but me. And I'm like, I, it I'm, is the worst goddamn movie I've I, seen. I, in a long I'm time. not with you on fucking terrible, but I am <sighs> with you in that it had very serious problems so that I think people were looking past because there had just been a shitload of amazingly shitty DC movies that when there was one that had any redeeming qualities, they were like, this is the greatest masterpiece. We'll have to talk off mic <laughs> about what the redeeming qualities were. 
because I, there were like seven times I wanted to shut it off. I'm like, but if I don't finish this, someone's going to tell me, did you watch it till the end? I will 100% so. defend her march across the trenches as like a solid moment of superhero. It's a superhero. cool scene. Yeah. The unmotivated by anything else that happens before or after. Oh, I disagree with that. Yeah, she's the- <laughs> motivated by her. Um, Again, problems with the movie. I agree with yeah. you. But not wholly. I, I would say, okay, <laughs> in, in the language that we've started to develop on, on the horse show hot dog, which is just like, if the movie built up enough currency with you, you'll spend that to overlook things. Yeah. And that movie never built up any currency with me. So every I get time that. I, flaw, I get I was that. just like, yeah. like just, it just bored me. So yeah. Anyway, we're way off topic. But, uh, yeah. But, but... So, we're discussing State of Decay, and that has been the first (laughs) section of Horse Show Hot (laughs) Dogs. And we'll be right back. You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Those ratings are how we remind the rest of the electronic world that we exist, which in my experience is often better than the alternative. And now, back to the podcast. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In Case... You have drunkenly stumbled into a stranger's car and do not know what you're listening to. That's a weird name for a podcast. It is a weird name for a podcast. I believe you mean great name for a podcast. Welcome <laughs> back to In Case You have Stumbled into a Drunken Car and You Can't Remember Where You Are. <laughs> there are layers to this. You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast oh i forgot to do that back when i host you did forget to do that back when you host i'm so sorry you've chosen to steal this car and listen to <laughs> whatever happened to be playing on someone's bluetooth connection but <laughs> uh, uh this is uh hey our special guest matt alex who has a superhero story involving the heroic Gill Man. <laughs> that's, that's a big sell. Is it is a big sell? Do you have any way you'd want to? I've int- heard this is the best story that has ever been written. <laughs> oh, good. Do you, do you have any way you'd want to introduce Barry. this other than now we've already sabotaged oh, you? Oh, is there a way to bury me any deeper? No, I um. <laughs> As I think I mentioned on the previous appearance on here and in many other places, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite uh, of the Universal Monsters, like the archetype monsters, and uh, I don't think he gets enough love in general. Um, I was given an opportunity to do a bit at a, another show recently and was like, all right, I can do something based on him. And there were two things I knew. Uh, one was that it was not fair that Creature has not had any kind of modern reboot. You know, like, mm-hmm. no one's even been, like, crass enough to make him sparkly. Like, he's just non-existent. And mm. the, I think the closest we'll probably get might be, like, Del Toro's Shape of Water, which is coming up yeah. soon. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially, I think, a, a just off-brand. Not in the shitty way, but in, like, that. We couldn't get the rights, but... <laughs> you know, I think but, that. But, that's but don't, my, you, don't you think you'd hate any modern reboot? Don't you think you're too invested now? It's in entirely this, likely, but at the same time, like I've watched werewolf movies over the years. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. werewolf is fine. You know, uh, 
American Werewolf in London is good. Dog Soldiers is good. Like, I can mm. watch many werewolf movies. I bet there's room in my heart for more than one creature movie, but it would be easier if there were a bunch to choose from, because then right. the bad ones wouldn't seem so jarring. Yeah, yeah. So, my hope is we get a, a fun, essentially, Creature from the Black Lagoon thing. And two, I figure, well, because of my disappointment, uh, the creature himself is probably pretty bored and sad, because he's been out of work for a long time. And I think uh, Bob Newhart uh, phone calls are funny. So I basically wrote one of those, uh, wherein the creature who is desperate for work <clears throat> is uh, hoping that now that with the uh, Universal Monsters franchise, whatever, he can get cast in that should they do a creature thing. So Do you think it would go a little something uh, like this? Hey, if uh, William Shatter and Jerry Seinfeld never on the side of the road to change a tire. Anyway. <clears throat> Hello, uh, I submitted my portfolio to your studio some time ago, but I haven't heard anything back. I was wondering if you could confirm you'd received it. Yeah, I'm very interested in talking with someone about getting an audition. It's uh, been a while since I've had any high-profile work, and uh, with the revived Universal Monsters franchise, I... It's Gilman. Kevin Gilman. No, Gilman. Not Gilman. Gilman, with a G. No, I don't suppose you'd expect it to be sold with a J. That seems very unlikely, yes. So, oh, so you found it. You haven't. Nothing under Kevin Gill Mann. No, oh no, no, not, not Devin. Kevin. No D. Nope. No, not Evan. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear, was I? I mean, there isn't a D in my... Okay, look, it's, it's Kevin. K-E-V-I-N. That's K as in knife. E is in eel, V is in valley, I is in me, N is in no. Yes, you're, you're probably right. I should have said that. So, yeah, I should have just said that in the first place. Oh, you found it. Excellent. So, so is everything in order? Should we just set up a meeting now? Or... Mm -hmm. mm. You need more information. Well, I enclosed a headshot and a resume. Was there something more you needed? I mean, I can send a VHS of some of my work. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes, some of us still do have VCRs. You can ask your parents about them. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I had no idea, obviously. Oh, please forgive me. I'm terribly sorry for your loss. I, I didn't mean to... <laughs> yes. Okay, yes, let's just move on. So as I was saying, with the new Dark Universe franchise, I was I was hoping to throw my hat in the What do you mean, for what? For the role of the creature? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I feel I'm an obvious <coughs> choice. Yeah, yes, I understand it's not quite that easy, but I feel I should be given a chance. At least I, I have a lot to offer the film. Such as... Such, a, such as I can, I can do most of my own stunts. You'll remember, of course, my scene swimming underwater with Julie Adams as being particularly beautiful and haunting. Do you know why? I can breathe underwater. No hoses, no tanks, no streams of bubbles rising to the surface to spoil the mise-en-scene. Just pure poetry in motion. An underwater ballet. Yeah, well look, it was a big <laughs> deal back then before you could remove those things digitally in post-production. <clears throat> look, I, I have other skills. I'm, uh, I'm durable. I, I've been speared. I've been shot more than a few times and always gotten better. I was even immolated once and managed to walk it off. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting the studio doesn't have safety of its talent as a concern. I'm just... 
Yeah, I realize that. I know. It's just... Fine. My apologies. If I may, I'd like to call your attention to the fact that I'm capable of breathing both on land and underwater. I feel like that may have been glossed over at some point. I'm also still in excellent physical shape. While I prefer to use unique or distinct when describing my appearance, thank you very much, you'll notice I didn't tell you what I think of how you look. Well, of course I realize I can't actually see you. It's not like I've never used a phone before. I did not say that. I most certainly did not say <laughs> Fine. My apologies. Say, is there maybe someone else I could talk to? I see. Okay, then. Well, let's say we set up that meeting. I really feel like this whole whole conversation would go much more smoothly in person. I could show you some of that lurking horror and dread I can inspire. No, that is not a threat! <laughs> I meant I could really show you how scary I can be if you just let me get in the room with the casting director. No, that is also not a threat! <laughs> what I was trying to say- Yes. Mm-hmm. Fine. My apologies. Is everything okay now? Good. So about that audition, why not? Well, that seems rather short-sighted on your part. But because I am the creature from the Black Lagoon. I was in three feature films. I met Abbott and Costello. I know the monsters. I was there when the world learned Wolfman's got nards. Hello? Hello? Let's see. <laughs> awesome so 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 when you sent this to me <laughs> i had one question oh, oh boy and there's uh there's only one answer i'll accept from you as truthful which is the are you working on a one-man show is that when I honestly, after writing this, yes. <laughs> Are you going to apply for Fringe next year? I mean, I apply for Fringe now every year. And so, uh, I honestly, I have a bit of an idea for a third piece, which may or may not premiere <laughs> Not So Silent Planet. But I feel like, you know, if I string two or three more of these together, I've just got a show. Yeah. So it, it may just so be you, You've been on here and you've done three monologues I really like as monsters. <laughs> <laughs> what were the three? It was this, it was the... The uh, previous the Gilman, then he did the zombie one. Oh, oh the, the zombie, zombie one. Yeah. That was the, like, <coughs> the serious one, yeah. I guess. Which is the one that is most embarrassing for me. Because I don't do serious stuff ever. And I've got a couple of recordings. Well, why is it embarrassing for you to go out of your comfort zone? I think you just explained why it's embarrassing <laughs> for me. Well, and not to be, not, I mean, that's not entirely joking. <coughs> that, is, that is it. Is that, like... Um, I, I tend to work in comedy. I And then, you know, th honestly, this podcast was instrumental in getting me to try to do something outside of comedy. I think um, the, it, the times I can think of where I was pushed outside of my comfort zone was I did uh, a fringe show a few years back called Storytime Time Bomb with um, uh, Tim, and, Tim Wick and Chris Jones that was uh, entirely kid-focused where you had two ostensible children's book creators one was the writer, one was the illustrator. You can mm. switch is which. <laughs> and they were trying to write a book. They had 45 minutes to write it. And their thought was, we will, we will help ourselves by bringing two improvisers in to act out suggestions from the audience. And that was mostly kids, and that was me and Jen Scott. Mm. Blast. Never worked with kids, though. <laughs> and so I'd never done a show where I couldn't say fuck. And it was terrifying. 
but it did. <laughs> not like, that not that it stopped you, but the, like... no, it didn't stop me backstage. Um, <laughs> were, you, were you terrified you would say fuck? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And also that it wouldn't be funny if I couldn't say whatever popped into my head because to me then it was like I have to self censor on a really rapid level in case yeah. like the first thing that pops in my head is inappropriate for children. Yeah, I have to go. Nope, not that one. Uh, 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 this. And I was like, what if I look like a stuttering idiot? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so like, can you flex a different muscle? Um, and then I did Not So Silent Planet mm. with the zombie thing we just mentioned, yeah. which was me going, okay, can I write a thing that start to finish is meant to be serious and have people not laugh at it mm. because it's terrible, which is, of course, <laughs> the big concern. You put yourself out there, you have to worry that, you know, oh, someone's going to laugh yeah. at me. And theoretically, as you perform longer and get better, you get over that to some degree. I don't think you ever totally do. Uh, I've only been doing this shit for like, yeah. know, like 15 years. It's not long. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, we did that and then just this last fringe I did a show that I uh, directed and produced uh, written by my friend Chip Limeburner uh, called The Well mm-hmm. which was a horror show which is the first time I tried to put horror on stage mm-hmm. which again you're not looking for laughter and you're hoping people leave creeped out or at least appreciate yeah. what you're doing and the, the common denominator in the latter two which is close to what we're talking about today is that you do not get as much, if any, instantaneous feedback, yeah. which comedy gives you. And it's so reassuring yeah. to be able to get a laugh every five seconds. Mm-hmm. And if the thing you planned on getting a laugh doesn't work, ad-libbing something you think would get a laugh. And, you know, it's sometimes digging yourself a hole, which is a whole other level of humiliation. But, like, doing six minutes of telling a story, and I've told that zombie story two or three times now. Mm-hmm. Um, and theoretically the room should just be silent listening mm. to that the whole time and i have no idea how they're taking it yes, and, and, oh, yeah it was, i was gonna say isn't that the hard thing and i'm sure i've said this before but what the hell i'll say it again is the uh uh there's that talking point in show business of oh comedy's so much harder than drama and i don't know that that's true i think it's just that uh you know how you're doing mm-hmm. with comedy Maybe maybe the, people think it's harder to be funny. Mm-hmm. I would say it's harder to perform drama. Yeah. As far as like self esteem. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. well mm. but that's also I don't know. Yeah. I I feel like it's harder to perform comedy because you know you're failing when you're failing. You know, real quick. Yeah. If you're doing drama and you're failing, you don't quite know. Well, that's assuming <laughs> you have self esteem. <laughs> and so my assumption mm-hmm. is failure. Well, which I'll prove otherwise. So comedy is much more comfortable. So basically what you're saying is when you do comedy, you might fail, you might succeed. It's based off of the audience reaction, but you just assume when you're doing drama, you're just failing the whole time. Yes. Um, I remember I started doing way more drama since I started writing speculative fiction stories. I remember doing a story for Horror Fest last year. Mm-hmm about a ghost and uh, a suicide, depicting a suicide. And it was not funny. And Philip comes back as host after I'm done. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, stand-up comedian Ben Sandell. <laughs> which I saw. And like, I think your story is amazing. Yeah. And that's also really fucking funny. <laughs> but I felt bad for you. Like, oh. like, we had a moment to let the audience just sit there in the weight of that. And I was like, I would have done that Philip did. <laughs> no, I thought it was funny, but it was that. It was just a commentary on the expectation. That, well, especially if you people expect you to be funny, yeah. and mm-hmm. and then you're you start being dramatic. It takes so you're not just trying to get 
past your own feelings of inadequacy when you're going on stage not laughing, but you're mm-hmm. also trying to get past the expectations of the audience who know you as a funny person. Yeah, and it's I, you know, and I tell people all the time, like no one becomes a comedian because they're happy, like, and that that kind of sets the thing of like, of course, your average comedian has some stories that wouldn't be funny they could tell, but that's why we tell jokes mm-hmm. is because that shields us from the vulnerability of telling those stories straight out, or at least telling those stories without jokes, and so if you try to strip that away, everything becomes way more intimidating, at least to me. Uh-huh. You know, and it's it's a thing that I now find very interesting. And uh, I'm not even talented enough to be a good comedian yet. But the the horror genre, I think, is kind of my in to the more dramatic stuff. Because I feel like you can still have those dark, quiet moments. But if you stick a few jokes in, it's not out of place. And you can do that with the drama, of course. You know, and the horror, the horror is so related to comedy in terms mm-hmm. of the opposite sides ten- of a coin. As tension, far as I can tell, yeah. Tension building, tension release. Yep. But the tension release, instead of laughter, is being startled or yeah. a gasp of some kind. And it's Which, all about surprise, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, and that's yeah. the thing. I did. I did a bunch of interviews during uh, the Twin Cities Horror Festival this year on Halloween night because we had I was just I grabbed whoever whatever producers were available, mm-hmm. you know, before or after their shows that they had five minutes and just cranked out quick interviews on mm-hmm. a little mini recorder. And the interesting thing was listening to the difference between comedians that do horror, talk about horror, and other folks that do <laughs> horror. And you know that had nothing to do with the quality of the show. But comedians are like, horror and comedy, man, it's basically the same thing. Like, there's yeah. a way that comedians get it that just seems intrinsic and fast. And they're just like, yeah, we're all doing the same thing. Build a build punchline, build a build screen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is the same language, just, you know, like I said, opposite sides of a coin. I think that's why it works so well. Like, there's so many comedy horror films. So many. Like, mm-hmm. Evil yeah, Dead 2 now. and Scream. Yeah. And it, they, it works so well to put jokes in comedy because you're doing the same because horror, because what you're looking for in horror is building tension and release. Now, if that releases a laugh, the audience is like, "Oh, thank God! At least it wasn't that guy's yeah. head getting ripped off." And then, if you can lull them into the sense of it'll be another joke, yeah. and the guy's head gets ripped off, you get that great scream. Well, it all I, releases, and they interplay well because I'd say you use scream, and I'd say Cabin in the Woods is another example mm-hmm. of. Uh, there's a tension in that it's always ramping up to some time to something and about half of the time it's a joke and about half of the time it's something horrible yeah and if you can't tell yeah they've done their job well right and that that to me is that that, that is the the yeah. golden ticket right yeah is that when you sit down it needs to be unexpected not just like cat scares you know the catch themselves yeah. locker that is that you can do one of those that's kind of mm. my gimme for a movie now is you mm. get one cat scare where so, it's you turn around and <laughs> but like if you just keep doing that They'll still work mm-hmm. because shit jumping out of the dark is scary. And like, ah. But there's going to be between being scared or horrified and being startled. See, see, and, and this is what I think was so great about Scream. Because uh, Scream came out when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And the, the... Me too. I guess we're all the same age. <laughs> what? Three white guys here <laughs> on podcast? <laughs> but, but, but it was the thing. Well, I, technically, Phil up isn't white. <laughs> I remember he saying that. I can't pass. But the... I remember saying that with my uh, my friends at the time because I was a horror buff and they really were not. And I was so enthusiastic about the Scream franchise. And they were like, eh, these are just horror movies, but they're like commenting on it as they're doing it. Uh-huh. And my thought was, 
Yes, but <laughs> it's more than that because the fact that they're sort of waving at the tropes as they're happening means they can underline them in a way that is suspenseful. Like yeah. there's, it's it's not just making jokes about a horror scenario. It's doing comedy and horror in a way that is both funny and really tension building. Mm-hmm. That like. <laughs> Yeah, I felt that Scream was a good, was a solid both yeah. co- as a comedy and as an actual horror movie. I did not feel the same way about the sequels, but yeah, yeah. I would say if you've not seen Scream Four the reboot, uh, check that one out because to me, all you need to see now is one and four, yeah. because four goes back and creates the same kind of thing that one did, where it is truly trying to turn a genre on its ear. And whereas two and three were just generic sequels yeah. that just yeah. did more of the same. Particularly three. Yeah, three is three yeah. was. <laughs> when James and show up, you know you're done. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, but we'll no, make it sillier seen, and sillier. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't seen Scream yeah, yeah. Four, it's well, actually thing, really good. The thing about Scream Three was that it seemed like they deliberately. I think they did because it came out after Columbine, mm-hmm. the Columbine massacre, uh, and they were being very sensitive. <laughs> what they were doing is they were that's what you want from a horror movie it's sensitivity yes. <laughs> they were editing out anything that caused tension so anytime you got to a scene I I remember Jenny McCarthy entering uh, I might be remembering this wrong is she in that movie anyway I think it could be she enters the one I barely remember because was, I've watched it like twice because I had to she enters a room because uh, in that universe there's it's a, movie it's, it's a franchise. Yeah. She enters a room yeah, where yeah. there's a whole Stab bunch of franchise. ghost masks. There's a bunch of ghost masks. There's a row of them. And I, I, I distinctly remember being in the audience, and she enters this room where this, this, this row in this closet, row of these costumes, and the audience gasps because of the tension that that builds. He could be hiding in, in any one of these. And I remember like the next moment, he jumps out. Like there was no There's moment no where her walking through, through them, and I, I just, and as an audience member, I was like, "What the fuck? You had this moment." And yeah. then in retrospect, I, I read that they were purposely cutting out the tension of that movie because they were so sensitive about Columbine. And the thing is, like, that's what horror is for. Yeah, is to give you a release of that tension and adrenaline because the real world is too scary. That's why you get the movies yeah. in the fifties and sixties are atomic movies. That's yeah. why the movies in the seventies and eighties are all fucking invasion shit because it's the red yeah. scare being writ large. Like the, the horror tells us the shit we can't bear to hear, mm-hmm. you know, in real life. And I would say, like, uh, speaking of the idea of the kind of meta textual horror movies, the two, because I'm a movie guy and I'm going to ruin your literary podcast with that. <laughs> um, the two I would point out um, that do a similar job in different ways. Uh, the movie called The Rise of, or Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie. Gardner, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Which is a deconstruction of the slasher genre, which is insanely funny. Until it stops being fun. And then it flips at the end. Yeah, and makes you feel real guilty for laughing. <laughs> and it's super, super good at that. And then the most recent one uh, is a movie called Found Footage 3D, which is... Haven't heard of that one. The world's first found footage movie shot in 3D, which makes you go, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's a found footage movie, which they explain in the first 10 minutes of the film <laughs> by someone going, why the fuck would our character be shooting in 3D? <laughs> and the director going... I don't, I don't fucking know. He's a he's a cinematographer, <laughs> <laughs> and so you end up with a movie where everything and they're like, but, but why would okay? We're shooting the behind the scenes of the Santa shooting movie. Why would the behind the scenes also be in three D? Because it would look weird otherwise. God damn it! <laughs> and they literally call their shots 
usually a minute or two before they happen throughout the movie. So they're like on their way to the location. And this is like in the first five minutes. They're on the way to the location, and they go, hey, hey, come on, dude, get the camera. Why? There's these two old dudes sitting outside the gas station here. They're perfect for like the, you know, the creepy guys that tell you not to go to the farm or whatever. Like they're perfect. We should just use them. Who the fuck are they? I don't know. Like we just got to use them. Dude, they don't have lines. <laughs> and so they get the camera, they set, and there's just two old guys. And they're like, <clears throat> and the direct, they show up and the director's already explaining. He's like, okay, so what I need you to do is be like, we're going to tell you we're going to wherever. And, you know, asking for directions. And you go like, no, bad stuff. People died there. And they're like, is this like a movie? Like, what do you guys do? Is this one of those like, is this mm. candid camera? And they're like, that has not been on the air for years. Sir. No, it's, it's uh. And they're like, okay. And they t- it takes them like three takes of like, yeah. okay. Uh, excuse me, sir. We're looking for like the McCaffrey farm. And the guy's like, sure. If you go down the road, <laughs> eight mi- cut. Okay, no, you can't give us directions. <laughs> you have to tell us not to go there. It's bad. They're like, oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. And they're like two or three tries. They're finally like, can you tell us how to get to the McCaffrey farm? And the guy's like, no. No one should go there. And the other guy's like, ooh. <laughs> and it's just a waste of fucking time. And they're like, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, sirs. Uh, that, was, that was wonderful. I'm like, so y'all, what are y'all doing? Making a film. Oh, you make it? What kind of movie? Uh, it's a it's a horror movie. We're shooting a horror movie over at the uh, you know McDonald Farm. Y'all don't go shoot a movie at the McDonald Farm. <laughs> what? Mm. And the one guy just gets up and walks away. Like, no, don't, don't go there. Okay. And it's like you literally shot a scene with your harbingers where they were <laughs> shitty harbingers, and as soon as you turn the cameras off, they were your harbingers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and they do that throughout the film where they call their shot. Who knows the first scare is the fake one? <laughs> so so what's the name of this movie? Uh, found footage 3D. And you found, can, yeah. You can find it on Shutter right now. I'm not sure where else you can get it. Maybe and Amazon. And, and you would, can watch it in 3D or 2D. I haven't seen that one, but I would recommend because it, it is another people have not heard of it, Behind the Mask. It's so good. Leslie Vernon, the rise yeah, of Leslie Vernon. All right, yeah, so so, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Found footage 3D. <laughs> and you're listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, which hardly recommends this metafictional horror film. <laughs> Found footage 3D and no others. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're in the Twin Cities metro area and would like to hear some live storytelling, or even sign up to perform yourself, we present a recurring monthly open mic at Kieran's Irish Pub in downtown Minneapolis. More information about this and many other spoken word events in the area are available at wordsprout.org. And now, back to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Not So Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. Now, Woo! is it speculative that it is a podcast, or is it a speculative fiction podcast? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> it's it's very meta. We're, we're a podcast about speculative fiction that takes place in an alternate timeline. That's Where sorry. Jill Stein is the president. That's true. This is 100% We accurate. have not checked in in a long time <laughs> about the Jill Stein presidency. <laughs> we have not.
<laughs> Deep pull right It's going terribly. Oh. So Even though I hoped it would have gone better. <laughs> Weinstein has still got uh, accused of sexual harassment yeah. under Jill Stein. <laughs> yeah, so that didn't change. Yeah. Ironically, Jill Stein was accused of sexual harassment. But, of uh, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> That's processing. We understand. <laughs> no, that. I got, I got Sorry. Sorry, guys. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the section of the show in which we discuss the laws of semiotics, which everyone knows what they are and requires no explanation from us. So, oh, okay. <laughs> the snazzy hat. That's right. Matt, Alex, what is our first <clears throat> law of semiotics? Our first law says, an author shall not include all the details of the research she did for an element of her book even if she's really proud of all the work that she did. It should at least be tangentially related to the character or story. As so, is this meaning that like you, you did all the research on the physics of whatever it is, and then you include all of the details I think, of yeah, yeah, the I think physical so. thing? Or it's like your yeah. characters need to give enough explanation to satisfy another character. Mm-hmm. However, because you took so long to learn it, you're going to give an eight-page description where two sentences might satisfy mm-hmm. for plot, which is something I fully understand. Yeah, I... I, 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 <laughs> I, I begrudgingly admit I fail at this, <laughs> but I think this is probably a smarter move. I, I, I agree with this law. Yeah. Pretty much unconditional. I, and as, I reserve the right to continue <laughs> to fail at it. Is that cool? Can we do that now? But I, I'm saying this I'm raising a, my hand. No one well, see it. all as, of us fail at all of these. <laughs> but, sure. as, but we can still agree or disagree with the laws. As, as a teenager who grew up loving Dragonlance novels, mm. which were shitty for many reasons, mm. but the... But the uh, they were classic... The initial novels in particular were written by designers for D&D games. Sure. And uh, so every chapter of the novels would typically go, they were imprisoned by a draconian guard who had been born 32 years ago. And and they would give you, like, way too much detail about ancillary characters. Uh, It's the advice I give uh, (laughs) you, Rennies. When we have uh, rookies coming to the Renaissance Festival and uh, I get the chance to talk to them, which they somehow let me do, I always go, hey, um, y'all should know who your character is, what your Mm -hmm. kind of motivations are, like how you would interact with certain situations based on like who you are. Never tell anyone that. Yeah. No one gives a fuck. Yeah. The least thing you can ever tell anyone is like where you come from, who your parents are, Mm -hmm. what your job is. No one gives a fuck. If you walk up to someone eating a corn dog, react to them eating a corn dog based on all that shit you have as mm-hmm. headcanon, do not ever stand and tell someone your headcanon. <laughs> they will be glazed over and looking for a polite Minnesotan out in seconds. And, and, and that is a, an early flaw that most of us, including myself, have done. Yeah, yeah. but we have... But you like... You like literature that really dives into everything. Uh, like, uh, Lord of the Rings does that. Dives into the mythology of all of the... Fa- especially the, the yes. stuff that he... But uh, that's not the improv saying. It's a little of an offshoot. I was just going to go that. That's the Phil Lowe version. <laughs> yes, but actually. <laughs> the whole, like, glass <laughs> but I would say that for as deep as his world building is, mm-hmm. he, uh, despite his reputation, he is very cautious about 
how and where well, he okay. uses but it. Explain to me <laughs> how that difference is, because it seems to me like he really does dive into great detail. Mm -hmm. Because, like, half of The Return of the King is appendices that he wrote about the background of each character. He does not introduce each character in the main narrative by giving you that information. If you're enough of a geek that you care about it, you can open up the back of the book and look it up, but he's not going to bog down the story by throwing it at you. And I, I do think that's a significant difference. So is it, okay, is it okay to do this, this, to add this research in, this all this research, if you put it into a footnote? Uh, see, and to me, uh, like when you mentioned the idea of like, okay, half the book is appendices, you can choose to read. I'm like, well, then you only have a half-length book <laughs> oh i don't think anyone's going to accuse tolkien of not writing enough material to i think it's okay <laughs> but like the idea of like you know um if i'm going to read x y and z fantasy world you know i need to know enough to know why this character's family should hate this character's family mm -hmm. and ideally that should come out through like some dialogue maybe yeah. incidental or direct Whatever I, you know, the, the show not tell idea. Although do it, it do you feel like tell. Tolkien's concealing that from you? It's by not including it in the. I've actually read yeah. that Lord of the Rings stuff since like I was like fifteen. Yeah. So like it's been a long time. So I couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, I, I just I'm not close enough to it. But like, I would prefer it to, and maybe he does this. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to deliver it through like dialogue, like, and you know, like so and so asks for help. Fuck them. They didn't help us at the yeah. last Y, so therefore we're not going to help them <laughs> in the next Z. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. I've got a little bit of dialogue, but I don't want to have to have someone be like, uh, still and so asked for help. Fuck them. Three pages of... Mm -hmm. Because so-and-so, father of nutsack, <laughs> daughter of whatever. Because I'd say that's exactly what he does in the respect that you could never crack open the appendices and still get a satisfying story. Thus that would make sense. Yeah. The, like, but <laughs> if you want more detail, you can read the Silmarillion and peruse the appendices and get lots of backstory. But if you don't want that, like if, he, he was, he was creating on, uh, director's Tolkien, cuts but... before there were director's cuts. Uh, like, you know. <laughs> and then you got people like David Foster Wallace, who yeah. like, infinite jest, which mm. you read the first hundred pages of. I did. Uh, he, David Foster Wallace purposely writes footnotes in that really can't be skipped. Mm -hmm. Mostly footnotes or something that if you want more, but he purposely writes these, they're almost like little stories in and of themselves. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I've read some books that have that. Which yeah. I don't mind as long as I know that's the case. Um, but I always wonder, like, is there, maybe there's no better way to do it then. But, like, that just seems like if this is so important, why is this not in the main narrative? Well, Except, I guess it's more expedient. It's part to, of the style. It's it's yeah. it's not so much it's, it's that like you're the, purposely going into it to fracture your narrative in this way. So yeah. you're telling the straightforward narrative. But then you go off on this thing. It's sort of like when you're playing a video game that it's a role-playing game and you go off on a side quest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because was it the Illuminatus trilogy is the one I'm thinking of that has all yeah, the yeah. footnotes. And some of them, like, you have a footnote and all of a sudden you realize it's four pages long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, is that a foot? Okay, but fine. But, like, that's also <laughs> meant to be disorienting in the way mm -hmm. it's written. So right, it's like, right. okay, that makes some sense. But, like, I'm, I'm even just thinking of, um, uh, and again, to be wickedly self-serving, uh, 
the show I was in at the mm -hmm. horror festival this year, uh, Doc Washington's show, Intuition of the Mantis, deals with time travel. Mm -hmm. Sticky fucking wicked, right? And he also grounded it very heavily in uh, an area and some certain actual real-life people. So he's like, I spent a ton of time researching this area, these people, mm. all this shit. And in the show, you do have some information dumps that relate to the characters. And he's like, so he's like, I know more than you would ever want to know about this little slice of life. And like, the question is always like, depending on who you talk to, like, you know, Chip, um, my uh, horse or hot dog partner was just like, it's too much shit, right? It's, it's too much stuff about this area. Like, I don't know why we need to know that. And I'm like, and yet, based on the idea that you have this political character and this person behind them, understanding the political situation makes sense. You know, X, Y, Z. It was like, I'm also too close to it, so I can't tell. Right. So it's like, but that's the thing is like, is it possible when you're inside it, maybe even to tell if you're being that author? Yeah. Where he or yeah, she but... is putting in too much detail because you're like, okay, to make this make sense, I have to know, I have to understand this. That is very hard you to know? tell. I mean, in, during stand-up comedy, it's really hard to tell <laughs> how much setup you need before the punchline. Over-explaining a joke like, is terrible. Well, yeah, but say, you can, can over-explain a joke, but you can just as easily under-explain For sure, it. Yeah. right? But if like, they, it's, if you oh. get to the punchline, you're trying to tell a new joke, and you get to the punchline, don't laugh. So often it's because they didn't follow you up to that point. They're not in the same world as you, and it's sort of like that way you guess you had to be there. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's a you had to be there joke, then you have to build the universe for them to be in. And and we're we're a table of three comedy writers right here. So I think our instinct is economy, right? You know, mm -hmm. the we want to you convey want to information as efficiently as possible. Yeah. That uh, and uh, and one thing but no less than what you need yeah. to get people to understand. You gotta make sure they get there. Yeah, although it's a wasted effort anyway. But yeah. but but this is something I've I've that that I think we all struggle with to some degree is that different mediums have different demands of us. If you uh, if you're doing a stand up routine, you do have to tell a joke as efficiently as possible, but. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I would argue that you should tell everything as efficiently as possible. See, I would disagree with you, and this is the point that I'm trying to build up towards here, which is that, uh, for example, when I'm reading someone's blog, that's different from reading an article for me, and that uh, I don't want something totally scattered, but if I'm reading a competent writer... I like a little meandering. Yeah. I like coasting into different topics and like, and for example, as the host of a podcast, which we're on right now, this is, and this has been a, a key point of disagreement between us as co-hosts of a podcast that, uh, I do like a format that meanders more than Have a tightly edited focus. Wait, what was the law we were talking about? Which one of us is white knuckling it right now? Oh. So, but, yeah. But I would say that if you go into the into the position where you're, you know your audience wants the meandering, mm. there's still a way where you can write that in the most efficient way possible. Mm. You can write efficient meandering. Mm -hmm. I would argue that the difference you might be talking about, though, well, I think I see kind of where you're coming from, Philip, mm -hmm. is that the difference is writing. Mm -hmm. Podcasting, to me, is most interesting when it can meander. 
because yeah. I think you should follow the most interesting course of conversation when doing a podcast. Or, for instance, like when I host Fearless Lab or do a storytelling bit, if I decide to tangent randomly, to me, if it's related and is inspired by, then that's just part of the story. But that's mm-hmm. exactly it. Does it serve other, a purpose? Right. But other people might find that inefficient if I know where I'm going by the end. Now, the difference being what I think you're talking about, Ben, which is if you're going to sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write and perform this written piece or a play, the meandering, which becomes like, you know, the improvised lines during rehearsals that you may or may not include, shit like that, that's where that fits. But like at the end of the day, if I'm going to go watch a play, I want that shit to be pretty tight. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to watch a storytelling show, I'm willing to kind of go, okay, like if you're going to take me on a tangent that then snaps back and has a point, I'm down. But I'm much more patient in like a storytelling show or a stand-up show for that matter with a tangent, assuming you wrap it back in. Mm-hmm. But that, that is, I think, the difference between like, and podcasting is to me the most, one of the most freeform <laughs> environments. So mm-hmm. here... We spent a ton of time talking about fucking DC movies yeah. or horror movies or whatever, and that's that's <coughs> theoretically far afield from your stated goal. But because they were all inspired by the topics we were here to talk about and the the purview of your podcast, they mm-hmm. may not all fit under it, but that's what made that that is what it made us think of, and those are the things that were relevant and true to us. Mm-hmm. That to me is important. Like the, you know, back when I was doing apropos of nothing before I retired, the idea was we never cut anything unless mm-hmm. someone specifically asked us to because I thought every pause between sentences and comments was just as important as what people said because it took someone three seconds to think something. Yeah. That tells you more about what they said. I have oh, specifically oh, asked Philip to cut stuff from this podcast and he refuses. Yeah. And oh, it's, but it's and again, if I... If but again, that's this all taste. And for yeah. me, though, like that is more informed. Like, I like that. I like the idea that you're getting the same impression <clears> as if we're all sitting around. Like, if you, you know... Listener, I will never know, ephemeral listener, is the fourth chair right now. Mm-hmm. I want you to have the exact same experience I had being here in real life. That, to me, is... So, is everybody drinking whiskey, really? I would assume. They damn well better be. <laughs> they're, they're driving to work, I have to assume. Okay. So, but, but that to me, that is the experience I try to create on, mm-hmm. in general, the art I do for, like, podcast stuff. It's like, if you were sitting in the room, you get the same experience as we're getting listening. Not every podcast does but that. But that's my point, you though, know? is you're you're aiming for that experience. But that and aim also allows for a certain laziness. Well, yeah, but that you and you do you, you do you can fall into that trap where suddenly we're just talking meandering. And we start talking about the shit color of shades. Okay, but we're actually having a conversation about a thing right now. And if this were a live show, I would have cut both of you off ten minutes ago, True. and we would be moving on to the next yes, joke but, and not actually having a conversation about what a podcast but, is. But that's, exactly, like, you know? but that's exactly my point. If you were doing a live podcast right now, uh, it would have been a different goal. It would have yeah. been a different objective where the meandering was not the objective you're trying to play mm. to a live audience which has different wants and needs. But we're not yeah, totally I, meandering. But from from a, would, we're, we're having a conversation about a thing is that is focused on... This could easily be... All of this, this entire conversation could yeah. be put next to... Put into a footnote. You could, you, could, you could cut it and have a little asterisk and have people click on an asterisk and listen to this whole conversation and they would miss nothing else from the rest of the, con- from the, rest of the podcast. The really I don't direct. disagree with you, but I'm saying that would be way less interesting for me yeah, to listen to. Yeah, but the, <laughs> point, the point is is that that is the aim you're going for. Therefore, yeah. it's not something 
that necessarily should be cut because it's the aim you want. Mm-hmm. But if you were writing a story and your and your goal was to tell a cohesive, quick story that had a nice plot, and then you went off because you did so much research going back to the actual law here. You did so much research that you're like, Wait, are we discussing a law? (laughs) (laughs) Because because you're like, oh, I did so much research, now I need to put all this physics in here, all this, that. And then you fuck with the momentum, and it doesn't add to the overall environment. Like, what we're doing now is your aim is to make the meandering. If their aim wasn't to meander about the physics, and they do it anyway because they put the time in to study it, that is where they're screwing up. That, I think, is the perfect caveat. If your meandering doesn't break your momentum, fine. If it's just world building, then, which is the kind way of saying meandering, uh, great. But if you suddenly your whole story comes to a screeching halt to talk about some shit you learned or researched or made up, for that matter, because someone had to make mm-hmm. up you know, all the science of Star Trek, but if you spend too much time doing that versus even just real world science or pseudoscience, whatever it might be, if your whole plot stops, I think that's the problem. But if if your meandering serves its own purpose, wherein maybe your characters are arguing about it and it's witty and they're bantering and they're telling jokes in between, okay, throw some, whip some extra shit in there. But that might be the thing is if you're bringing your plot to a screeching halt, you failed because I think, especially written, and I think especially written. You know, did I just say especially twice? I think that I think <laughs> it's more like, especial. But like, <laughs> what it boiled down to is if the target audience, if your target audience is not into whatever it is you're doing, meandering or not meandering, you're failing. Do we have a target audience for this podcast? That's a whole other question. <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> that, is, that is a whole other question because, to me. There are two ways to do art, which is I'm doing this for me, come along if you like, or I'm doing this for you, I hope you like it. Yeah. I tend to do the first. I'm learning to do the latter. Is there no way to try to do both simultaneously? You can do both, but I, I often find that my theory is like, here's what I like, here's what I created, here's what I want to see in the world. I hope someone else likes it too. And that is maybe easier. Maybe not, because honestly, it's a little more vulnerable to me. Yeah. But the idea of like, I would like this to exist, so I'm going to create this. And then, oh, shit, no one liked it. Okay, well, that hurts a lot. But at least I put out there what I wanted to put out there. Yeah. And so maybe what I did was waste everyone's time for that hour, hour and a half, whatever it might have been that I did. But at least I got out there what I needed to say. And that, to me, is art. And if someone goes, okay, I want to create a thing that will be palatable to as many people as possible but still have my thoughts involved, then maybe people like it, maybe they don't, but then maybe, and maybe not, you're satisfied or unsatisfied with what you ended up with. And like, I just, I feel like I bet on my satisfaction still over other people's. And that's not to say in this, in, in lieu of commercial success, because God damn would I love to make some money. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not one of those dipshit artists like, oh, fuck money, money. I'm like, no, I got bills, y'all. Like, but... <laughs> I think there's, the, you know, the, the aims can be, uh, the, they shouldn't be diametrically opposed, but we sometimes pick and choose. I want this to exist exactly as I see it. Mm-hmm. No one will ever buy that. Fine. But I think it's important it exists. That's yeah. one way to choose through your art. And, you know, another way is like, okay, look, what if we, you know, sand off the rough edges here so that it's actually like make some sense and like your weird references no one will get, you know, you make them something a little more palatable or skip them at all. And then now we have a show that when we put it on, everyone can enjoy your art, 
and you won't alienate people for nonsense reasons mm -hmm. that weren't intentionally alienating, but just because you're not having an editor, basically. You know, it's like, okay, you can do that too. And you just, but it comes down to intent, I think, like you said, Ben. It's just like, what, what are you going for? And the trick is, how often do I know what I'm going for when yeah. I start? And I think, how rarely, in control are you? I, I would say, to me at least, because I'm fucking new at this, not very. <laughs> you know, I think I, I'm lucky to come up with an idea and I just let it go where it goes. Because, yeah. like, it's literally, I, it's. Which it's, is why when I'm doing something, I will be less inclined to meander mm -hmm. um, in a story or whatever because I don't have as much confidence in myself to string the audience along. Speaking of... Stringing the audience along. Well, hey, of Ben! That, I'll oh, take you literally bastard. the biggest one in the, <laughs> in the hat. Oh, my God. It's, it's a fucking paragraph and a half. Using multiple personality disorder, schizophrenia, hallucinations, dreams, computer simulations, time travel, or any other... Oh, shit. Did we just talk about this? <laughs> they ex machina to explain away some kind of shocking storyline or supernatural fantastical <laughs> phenomena is not cool, man. That should be a given by now, right? I mean, how can this still be something that people need to be reminded of? Stop it, everybody. Just stop it. Fight Club was good despite his twist. Not because of it. Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz get a pass because they're Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz. But don't even get me started on those ridiculous universe-breaking time-turners in The Prisoners of Azkaban. Oh, I can't tell you yeah. why. <laughs> right now that we already talked about this. Did we talk about this in this podcast? It was last podcast, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't know. We talk about a lot of things. We talk about the idea of me arguing with Josh on my podcast it's, it's saying about high tension. Well, it's saying this is like the laziest possible way to but do the unreliable narrative thing, right? The, 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 the thing is like the question or law proposer, I think to me, gives the, the, the lie to the argument, yeah. which is going like, look... Fight Club is good except for the bullshit twist. And you know what? Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland, they're just Wizard of Oz. They're good. It's like, well, then <laughs> shut up. If it can be good, shut up. It's valid. <laughs> it is a valid option. If it's bad, they just didn't do it well enough. Yeah. And that is my only argument. Isn't this I, the argument for every law of symbiotics? <laughs> what, what a broken record but are we saying, with the laws of symbiotics? But, well, but it, it turns into good conversation. But like that is that is my that is my big beef with this. Is everybody goes, these all suck. And I go, well, here's four examples that you like. And they go, yeah, those are good, though. And I go, <laughs> okay, cool. So what you're saying is personal taste. Yeah. So shut up. Well, I mean, this, like, this Fight Club was good because... Um, in... Uh, Despite yeah. a twist, not because of it. Mm -hmm. But so, then they say Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland because they're Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland. Which means, taken as a whole, they're good. Well, how do you feel? You're a big Alice in Wonderland fan. I am a big how Alice in Wonderland How do you feel about fan. it all being a dream in both cases? <laughs> well, the first, first case, usually. I don't know. I think Alice. I, uh, is it a dream so in the second it, one? Uh, it's, yes, it's a dream in both. She shakes the queen into a kitten in the second So part. how do you feel about it being written off as a dream? Uh, so, first of all, I don't mind it. Secondly, Tolkien hated it. And I'm raising this because he called it out in a big way. And he wrote an essay on fantasy writing called On Fairy Stories, which was his whole, like, you know, this is how fantasy works. This I is how... It, and, and, and he held he held up the Alice books as, these are not fantasy stories. 
because in the last chapter, <laughs> he said, none of this is real. It was all a dream. So you didn't actually do the work of building another world or the, I, I think that's a bit disingenuous, but I do understand the point he's trying to make, which is like, you know, it didn't meet this invisible standard he created. I have to say, <laughs> like... even, even with <coughs> Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland, <coughs> I still am a little disappointed that it's just mm-hmm. written off as a dream. Yeah, yeah. Even though they are these cultural touchstones, I mm-hmm. wish that there was, it wasn't such an easy write-off. But oh, Tim Burton agrees with you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I do not know what that means. But... Why, why does this disappoint you? That's what I don't get. Because mm-hmm. it's so easy. <laughs> It's so easy to it's so easy to create this world when you know. Come on, Bruder, calm down. Yeah, yeah. Bruder is very upset about the people waking world. up as dreams at the yeah, end. Yeah. Of the okay. Okay. Uh, okay. It's so just so like, it's why, such why an easy write off to the b- world you created because then it, it it lets you off the hook from having to explain why this world the way it what was the way it was. Although I would say the same thing as the lights coming on. And and I would say this is one of my big No, because the lights come on the equivalent of the lights coming Mm. on in a theater for a book is you closing the book and going back to life. Or in this case, you write it into the last chapter. So so one of my big issues with the way Alice in Wonderland is always adapted is everyone approaches it as, oh this is a dream narrative. It's silly. Nothing connects to anything else. It's uh, and they always present it as what's essentially a vaudeville show of here's a bunch of unrelated comedy scenes, and the books are not written that way. Of uh, the first book does have a unifying narrative. It is about Alice attempting to get to this magical garden she saw and growing and shrinking herself over the course of twelve chapters to find a way to reach it. Which, granted, is a very loose narrative. But there is, like, a, nar- a propelling narrative force to that story, you know? And the, the, it does, it bothers me in every adaptation I see where it breaks down to, here's a random caterpillar for no reason. Here's a random egg for no reason. And the, the, that's not quite what is in the books. Like, mm-hmm. you know? I, yeah. I'm drawing the I last line. But wait, 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 no, 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 no. Yeah. Here we go. We're here. Well, no, 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 no. No, I, I'm not reading it oh, yet. Okay. But. Well, two, what, one of two things. I, I'm the main thing I'm concerned about is using the dream or the oh, it was all the person mm-hmm. uh, twist as a way to excuse not coming up with answers to mm-hmm. the mysteries you've raised. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's lazy. If you're going to come up with... I feel like maybe Wizard of Oz and the way Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland can get away with it is that they are pretty much Mm self-contained, absurdist... Especially Alice in Wonderland is kind of an absurdist story. But but the point I'm raising is that even if it's a dream narrative, both the Alice books do have a self-contained story that makes sense within... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's not... The the waking up in a dream doesn't then go on to explain everything that happened. Yeah. Or write it off. Yeah. It, it would but be it like reading of... a story where a bunch of random shit happens for no reason and then someone wakes up at the end and that's why nothing you just read made sense. That's... <laughs> I mean, but that's just an actual dream. <laughs> it still yeah. gets them out of actually explaining whether or not this world is real, Alice in Wonderland real world. Um, yeah. 
And, and both Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz, they have consistent characters who are reaching towards a goal in a world that has at least some self-consistent rules. Like, even if they are revealed to be dreams at the end, there's still, like, a logic to them. They're not random. Like, and this see, one, this this law is more on the, the, the overall deus machinas of, like, the like the time turners in mm-hmm. book three of Harry Potter. Yeah, those are terrible. I make no <laughs> again, defense like, of those. <laughs> if we're talking about, like, because to me, like, the deus machina of the, oh, they woke up and everything's okay because it was a dream. That's the same thing to me, which I think I'm in the tiny, tiny minority of that's the same thing as pick your favorite action movie where everything's okay because the good guy has the gun. And it's just like, yeah, or the rom-com where of course they end up together. Mm-hmm. When they have the fight and split, we know in 20 minutes they'll be back together because we're about to start the third act. However, if the good, if the story is written well enough, their coming back together will make sense. No such thing. Given the narrative. <laughs> given the no narrative such thing as stories being written well enough. In a for... rom-com? No. <laughs> still, but as an audience member watching it, you will still believe they're coming back together. Right, but what I'm saying is if you believe the entire story of the, it was all a dream, the story within the dream has to all make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then if someone wakes up and goes, oh, that was all my dream. Well, if the story in the dream made sense, then who cares? Yeah. Yeah, but Very you know, Buddhist. The thing is, the movie was also a dream. Yes. Yeah. Because it's also fictional. But but in that respect, you could just make that ending at the end of every movie. You could. Yeah. I, I'm but, so what I'm saying right, is that would get very was... tiring after a while. But that's also literally how every movie works. Yeah. It's like when you get done watching movie and go, well, that, in, that fantastical voyage I was on is now over. I'm going to go back to real life. True, but that's why what does a movie the movie is. or a story itself have to go out of its way to say that? If they don't that have already to, happened, also, so then that's redundant. Right, but they don't have to, but it also doesn't hurt the movie to me. Okay. And again, that's like, I'm a tiny minority of that, because almost everyone hates this shit. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is <laughs> Philip Lowe, who happens to be a butterfly dreaming that he is a man, reading oh, shit, our last law wings, of semiotics, <laughs> which is underwater. really fucking long. Here we wild. go. <laughs> a love... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's kill him. Holy shit. See, on a professional podcast, they would edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) A love interest character, usually a woman, shall never turn to the main character, usually a man, and say, I'm going with you, just before the main character embarks on some dangerous mission, only to have the main character say to the love interest, no, you're not, it's too dangerous, or something along those lines. This exchange is not only sexist, but totally cliche, making it tedious even on those rare occasions when the gender roles are quote-unquote clearly reversed fully agree with this one yeah yeah there's just no excuse for that that's fucking lazy no yeah. <laughs> it happens all the time it does yeah i saw the the, tra- the trailer for the movie the pa- uh, have you ever seen the passengers with uh chris no. pratt and no. lawrence uh whatever her name is does it have velociraptors in it so, and i saw the trailer more is the <laughs> it might not have been that movie. It might have been a different movie around that time. But there was some movie where in the in the movie somebody said, "I'm going with you," and the, the male character goes, "No, you don't. No, you won't." And I was I turned to Zoe at the time who I was at the movie with. I'm like, "This movie's gonna suck." <laughs> just tell because the screenwriter, if the screenwriter was good, they wouldn't have put that cliche. Even if you wanted to say the same thing, mm-hmm. you would at least know to use different words. Yeah, but the, the idea of like, yeah, like the, I'm coming with you. No, it's too dangerous. 
I mean, every improv group that's ever done a parody of an action movie has stuck that sequence in. <laughs> yeah. Because it is so cliche. Everyone goes, ah, shit. <laughs> like, you know, if your audience can go, ah, about something, that means it's too old. Like, yeah. no, this is this one infuriates me when I see it in movies. And I automatically... It still it, keeps it, coming up. I know, it does, because Hollywood's lazy. And until we all revolt and burn down theaters, they're not going to change it. But, like, the... Yeah, this is one that your average person... To me, this deflates any tension immediately. Mm. All right, yeah. I'm going to go fight the Velociraptors, the Transformers, the Dinobots, the Kingsmen, the... Pick your thing. I love I'm that coming... sequence you just came up with. <laughs> Whatever. But, like, you know, I'm coming with you. You can't. It's too dangerous. I go, fuck you. <laughs> Boot that dude out of the plane you're in before he puts on his parachute and move on with your life. <laughs> like, everything will be fine. I, I, like, I, I feel like if that happened, there's two scenarios if this happened with me and my wife. One is uh, if I said, no, you can't, it's too dangerous, in which case she would knock me unconscious. Yeah, she'd beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. The other is if uh, she said to me, no, it's too dangerous, in which case I would say, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last movie to get away with this was The Matrix. Where Neo says, no, where, um, uh, what's Neo's... What's the God damn it? What's her name in the Matrix? Who is, falls in love with Neo by the Trinity. end? Trinity. Trinity. <laughs> she he's like she's like I'm coming with you. He's like no you're not. And she's like no. Well I should remind you. And she does this whole lecture. She's like plus I outrank you and blah blah blah. And me and uh, Morpheus is more my friend. And even even in that case, I still feel like it's like uh, still it still was that moment. But at least she <clears throat> stopped and said no. Fuck you. And I'm gonna explain why that was stupid and i feel like that's the last moment the last movie 1999 that could get away with that cliche and they still keep doing it it's the worst yeah that that is one that immediately makes me go oh clearly the stakes are low because this one says no it's too dangerous i know they're both gonna survive yeah that's just how that works like that's shorthand for here's the fake danger yeah. move on star manning gamora like you know pick your whatever current one like nope 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 all right, having established <laughs> that the three of us are as woke as it gets. Oh, I am fully asleep. <laughs> Just, did you feel the last podcast? That is. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. This is all going to end by us waking up, and it was all a dream. Oh, shit. shit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has all been a terrible, meandering, unedited dream. You have been listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet. We will be back probably at some point in the future because I've given up on even lying to myself. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye. Each story holds a thousand seeds A proverbial pomegranate A not-so-silent planet A not-so-silent planet A not-so-silent planet